The time is now. Volume 3, Episode 43. This is Employment Law Now, and I am Mike Schmidt from Cozen O'Connor. Hey there, everybody. How are you? Really appreciate you continuing to listen and uh, be with us today. You have heard me talk a lot about uh, several hot employment law issues. The Department of Labor's new proposed overtime rule, predictive scheduling and on-call pay, all of the issues relating to what's referred to now as the gig economy and independent contractor classification or misclassification. But enough from me. What do the experts out in the field actually have to say about those issues? And what are their thoughts on the impact that those issues are having today on recruiting and retention and various high-profile industries, such as the retail industry in particular? Let's find out now with a real great and informative roundtable discussion. So this is uh, real exciting. Um, We do have every so often, obviously, uh, guests come on to the podcast, um, but a little bit more rare is when we get an opportunity to do a roundtable session, and this is one of those topics uh, that I thought was uh, really conducive to a roundtable type of situation. Uh, I'm real honored to have two uh, experts uh, in this particular field, Evan Armstrong, uh, who is the Vice President of Workforce for the Retail Industry Leaders Association. Um, As a member of that group's government affairs team. Evan leads their advocacy efforts related to workforce and employment issues before Congress and federal agencies, including the Department of Labor, the EEOC, and the NLRB. Um, How are you, Evan? Doing well. Thank you for having me. Of course. And I'm also pleased to be joined by Melissa Hassett, uh, who is the Vice President of Client Delivery for Manpower Group Solutions. Uh, Melissa has more than 20 years of experience in recruiting, and as uh, the Vice President of Client Delivery in her current role, she's responsible for overseeing the strategic partnership between Manpower Group Solutions and high-volume employers. She acts as a strategic partner to clients, working to streamline processes, launch and manage large-scale staffing programs. So, Melissa, thank you so much for being here, too. Yeah, thanks for having me. So, why don't we uh, dive right in and get a little bit of a background and some context here to our discussion. Um, Evan, let's start with you. Why don't you give us a brief sense of what the Retail Industry Leaders Association mission is and what your role is with the organization? Uh, sure. So, uh, uh, sure. So, uh, the Retail Industry Leaders Association, or RELA uh, for short, uh, is the trade association for the leading retailers in the United States. Uh, we are located uh, outside of Washington, D.C., and we really serve as the advocacy uh, arm for the retail industry uh, in a host of issues uh, that range from tax, trade, to workforce. Uh, and my role at RELA is to head up all advocacy efforts related to workforce. Uh, I'd like to say that uh, anything related to the retail and its people uh, really falls under my purview, and uh, that's what I focus on uh, at the federal level. How long have you been uh, with here in Washington, D.C.? 
Wow. Uh, some almost days two and a half seems, years. Uh, short. Some days it seems like a lifetime. I'm sure. Yeah, I just, I just, was thinking that it had been uh, a fast two and a half years. A lot has happened, and we're, uh, and that's due to a lot of interesting work that we've been able to do uh, for our members. Uh, and, that's uh, great. We're going to get into like, a little uh, bit Melissa. of that uh, soon, uh, Melissa. Though, why don't you similarly tell us about Manpower Group Solutions and your role with that group? Sure, Manpower Group Solutions is one of the business lines under Manpower Group. So Manpower Group is one of the largest workforce um, solutions companies within the globe. We work in 75 countries. But Manpower Group Solutions, RPO, is the division where clients come to us to outsource all or part of their recruiting. And we really act as an extension of their team by looking like them in the marketplace, acting as one of their recruiters to candidates, and helping to solve any of their workforce challenges from workforce planning to recruiting uh, to even helping them with That's quality. That's great. And, and, and certainly, uh, like Evan, well. I'm sure you've been real busy. There's so much going on in the world of recruiting in, in, in that particular area these days. Yeah, Rila and Manpower Group Solutions have worked together Terrific. now. Um, uh, so I think there are two, two truisms ago. that we can all agree on. First, there is no question, I think, that the retail industry is one of the largest hourly wage workforces out there. Um, and second, there continues to be a significant number of lawsuits and regulations uh, affecting that workforce and the retail industry in general. Um, before I get into a few specific regulatory issues that I think our listeners would really be interested in hearing about, I want to get both of your thoughts on how you think think the climate has changed for the retail industry, um, let's say in the past 10 or so years? Sure. So, uh, you know, I would, uh, I've only, sure. So, uh, you know, I would, uh, you know, I've only really been deeply covering the retail industry for the last two and a half years, but from what I've learned, um, you know, the transformation that we're seeing uh, in what the, in what's called the omni-channel environment uh, has really impacted the retail industry uh, in a really uh, profound way. Uh, this move from pure brick and mortar uh, to a mix of brick and mortar and online retailing has really uh, required our members uh, and RELA uh, to rethink a, a lot of what we do on the advocacy sp space, uh, you know, whether it be on workforce issues or in-store uh, issues or trade and tax, uh, all of them have been impacted by this uh, really dramatic move to uh, online and e-commerce. Uh, so that's really the things that we've been focusing in on is how these evolutions uh, have impacted the different pieces of the retail ecosystem. And Melissa, my, what about you? What have my, you seen uh, uh, change on, uh, uh, in the, the past 10 people. or so years? Yeah, I think to piggyback off of what Evan said, as that change is happening, the jobs and the types of jobs in retail are changing, and candidates are feeling like retail is not going to last, and that there's not a long-term career for them there. So in this market where there's a ton of pressure to place this type of talent, whether it's in um, in stores, e-commerce, manufacturing, distribution, that 
all of that all of those industries share the same talent and so retail is sort of losing that war on talent because talent has lots of choices on where to go and so what we're really noticing when we're talking to retailers is that especially the hiring managers at the store level or at the distribution level feel like they still have the upper hand and this is a great brand and why wouldn't you want to work here and candidates are feeling like they have a choice and they have lots of places to go so there's a little bit of a gap there in terms of expectations on both sides and so we're often talking to retailers about what they need to do to increase their employment for sure and the way you're setting up the jobs uh, the way you're going about the recruitment process and I guess the the compensation and benefits that you're offering uh, that all has to be looked at because you are as you said attracting a whole new uh, candidate to the to the retail companies Evan and I um, co-authored and co-sponsored a paper called Retail Apocalypse. That's right. <laughs> Evan and I um, co-authored and co-sponsored a paper called Retail Apocalypse or Evolution because candidates are often telling us, you know, oh, oh I can't go into retail. There's no long-term career there for us. And if, if we're thinking, of course, retail is going to be around. Of course, people are still going to want to walk into stores. It's very much and a PR issue online. as well. I mean, you're, um, you're so in a lot of sense, as you just said, having to tell up. these candidates and, and the, the candidate pool out there, you know, no, we are still going to be around. Maybe we're tweaking things. Maybe we're going to be evolving, but we still are around, you know, come and come and continue to work for us. That's right. And, and just to just to uh, follow up on that, uh, I think that's well said that it's a PR issue. Um, and Melissa and I know that the retail industry is full of opportunities for individuals at uh, various levels of skills, various levels of what they want in their lives or careers. Uh, really, retail has always provided a spectrum of roles uh, that fit in people's lives. Uh, and we have always prided ourselves on uh, what we say is being a first job, a second chance, or a third act, uh, because we really do run the spectrum of folks uh, who can work in retail and for different reasons. Uh, but perception is reality. And, you know, when I go on the Hill uh, to talk to policymakers and their staff, you know, there is this overarching narrative that there is a retail apocalypse. Uh, it doesn't help that you have brands that go out of business, which we've had in the last year, but we have so many success stories uh, and record openings in the retail sector in, in types of all types of jobs. Uh, that, you know, we're, we're really trying to push back on that narrative, and I think it's incumbent upon Relay. Sure, and, and employers really, are really uh, focused on uh, a lot this of notion of recruitment that, and uh, retention these days. Um, we started touching on it a little bit. Um, but Melissa, what are some of the primary recruiting challenges in today's world that you're seeing? Uh, did we lose Melissa? Hello, Melissa. Did we lose Melissa? Up oh, there you go. I'm sorry. Yes, I don't know uh, what happened there. Sorry about that. You heard my question, though. I did. Yeah. Okay. I can still hear you. Can you hear me, Mike? I did. Yeah, around recruitment and retention. So. Uh, oftentimes retailers come to me and they start talking about recruiting issues but what we find is that they really have a retention issue not a recruiting issue so many times retailers can post an ad and get lots of people to apply but if they don't reply to those people in time or reply to them with the right type of opportunity that includes some sort of benefits and flexibility with their schedule they either have 
hard time getting people to the start or they have huge amounts of turnover, you know, more than 60, 80 percent turnover in these entry level jobs in retail and in distribution. So we end up changing the conversation and talking about retention and the way to retain people is to offer them, you know, some of the benefits that they're looking for and some of the schedule flexibility that they're looking for. We survey candidates all the time about what they're looking for in roles in, in the retail sector specifically. They're looking for, you know, some access to paid healthcare, some access to paid maternity, and they're looking for the ability to say, I can work these days or I cannot work these days, and being able to have the opportunity to either give up a shift or pick up a shift, you know, to meet the changing needs of their life. And so the employers that are doing Evan, what are your members and um, and seeing now in terms of uh, challenges when it comes are the to employers recruitment that are and retention? The top talent today in retail. Yeah, I think it's uh, a lot of what Melissa said, but, uh, you know, I, I think retail is probably not alone in, I mean, I think it's uh, a lot of what Melissa said, but, uh, you know, it, I, I think retail is probably not alone in uh, trying to find people to fill roles. I mean, we have a record uh, a low unemployment rate, we have record job openings in the retail industry, but there's really record job openings across um, multiple industries right now, which is a good thing, right? It's a good thing in the economy, uh, but it's tough for uh, heads of talent acquisition and the folks that Melissa deals with when uh, there may not just be, uh, there simply may not be enough people to hire. And I think that that's what Melissa and I have started to talk through a little bit. What's interesting is uh, employers and retailers looking to fill shifts and hours rather than filling uh, a total uh, FTE, uh, you know, full, empo uh, full employee. You know, can you, can you satisfy your need in-store distribution center by being a little bit more fluid and dynamic and, and looking to fill uh, hours as opposed to a full role? And I, maybe that helps you uh, patch, uh, you know, well, that your, makes your a lot needs of sense. here and there. So I want to switch uh, gears a little bit we have, and talk with you both uh, you about know, a few regulatory issues people, um, that are affecting um, everybody, know, but certainly the retail industry uh, that, that folks have been talking about, reading about, tweeting about. The first one uh, is is probably uh, the most front burner, and that is the uh, United States Department of Labor's new proposed overtime rule uh, that just was issued, uh, all ready for public comment period. Uh, based on when it was just published in the Federal Register officially, uh, the 60-day public comment period will now expire on May 21st. So uh, we've got a little bit of time for those uh, organizations, those employers who want to uh, offer comments, certainly employees and, and their uh, organizations as well. Um, so what have you both uh, been seeing? What's your takeaway uh, in terms of the, the new proposed overtime rule and uh, what its effect uh, may be in your world? Sure. Uh, so this has been an ongoing uh, regulatory issue for our members uh, since the uh, Obama administration. Uh, and their department sure. Uh, so this has been an ongoing uh, regulatory issue for our members uh, since the uh, Obama administration uh, and their Department of Labor uh, began the process several years ago to update uh, the, the threshold for, for uh, who is required to receive overtime. Uh, so it's essentially called the exemption threshold. Um, so we've been fighting uh, this issue for several years, and we certainly fought the Obama administration's attempt to raise the threshold to 47.5. Um, and fortunately, uh, a district court in Tex Texas uh, put a stop to that rule. Uh, but since then, we've been working with 
this new administration and their Department of Labor advocating for a reasonable increase to the overtime threshold uh, using a, a previous methodology that was utilized by the Bush administration in 2004. So we are uh, essentially satisfied with the proposed rule as it, we've seen it thus far. Uh, the two issues that we argued against uh, and uh, were, were glad to see that they were not included were uh, any provision that would auto-increase the threshold without uh, a full regulatory process and regional... Certainly get the, the uh, automatic increase uh, issue, and that was one that um, certainly those on our the membership employer so side pushed back pretty vigorously. Over the last in terms of the we different... Were, uh, happy so we're setting the different levels based on geography, and there were also <laughs> some discussions about setting different levels by industry. Um, what were your members uh, having a, a difficult time with when it came to differences based on geography? Well, it, it's, it's probably the same issue. Uh, it's the same problems we have with any issue where you have a multitude of different Well, it's it's probably the same issue. Uh, it's the same problems we have with any issue where you have a multitude of different standards uh, that a national employer would have to deal with. You know, we've seen uh, huge amounts of regulatory uh, action at the state and local level over the last few years, uh, which creates a huge compliance headache for uh, our members who do business not only in San Francisco but in uh, Tuscaloosa. Uh, so we we always uh, prefer a more uniform standard. Are you surprised so that uh, really they're still not touching the duties One test. threshold uh, that would satisfy uh, the overtime requirements, and and that would work better for uh, an employer who is in multiple jurisdictions. Pretty uniform among the business community that uh, the duties test was something that everybody understood. Uh, no, we were pretty uh, adamant that they should not. <laughs> we, uh, we, in the, uh, I would say it was pretty uniform among the business community that uh, the duties test was something that everybody understood, uh, and they understood it in a way that has been applied uh, well over the last several years. So, um, you know, when it yeah, comes I to the, the regulatory process, uh, uh, is, the, the is trade associations representing business uh, typically like this certainty, issue. and the devil you um, know is... Do you is see uh, any, I mean, obviously the Department of Labor is uh, so going to be getting we hundreds of thousands no of comments between now and May 21st. Uh, do you see any uh, changes, uh, I guess significant substantive changes between what we're seeing now as the proposed rule and what will ultimately be the final rule? You know, you typically don't uh, see uh, major changes. Uh, you know, obviously, everybody appreciates the comment process. Uh, the Obama administration had a comment process that we submitted to, uh, and we didn't see a You know, you typically don't uh, see uh, major changes. Um, you know, obviously, everybody appreciates the comment process. Uh, you know, the Obama administration had a comment process that we submitted to, uh, and we didn't see a whole lot of changes between their, their proposed rule and their final rule. Uh, I would expect something similar in this case, um, but obviously. So let's uh, move to a, change, a second but, regulatory uh, you know, again, issue. I think a lot of uh, that's been affecting a lot of employers out there. The uh, and, and I have this umbrella uh, term that I use all the time, um, and that is you know, the, the work-life you know, balance umbrella. Support, um, and, and I think that that is what prompts so much of what we're seeing, both on the federal level, but also on the state and local level, as a justification for all of these initiatives. I, I think that's fair to say uh, that uh, it's true in the overtime realm. I think. You see other things such as paid sick leave and uh, the minimum wage fight that uh, that we're seeing all over. Um, but 
when it comes to predictive scheduling and on-call pay, uh, I put that as well in this work-life balance umbrella, and it's it's something that there's been a, a lot of fighting over. Um, what's uh, the take from your end and, and the members of your association on predictive scheduling and on-call pay, and, and where do you see things going when it comes to the, that issue? So that's one of the issues that we've seen really explode at the local and state level, uh, unfortunately. And in their college fair work week uh, bills uh, and the advocates program say, you know, individuals should have a certainty. So that's one of the issues that we've seen really explode at the local and state level, <coughs> uh, unfortunately. And in their called fair work week uh, bills, uh, and the advocates for them say, you know, individuals should have a certainty in their schedules and they should be able to receive pay for uh, having a shift cut at the last minute. Um, you know, what we say to those is, you know, the retail industry by and large now does not uh, operate, uh, you know, those types of scheduling arrangements where you're on call. Uh, we do try to provide predictive schedules, uh, and a lot of our members are operating and implementing new programs and tech uh, to provide more um, leeway for employees to share, swap, or change shifts uh, on their own, sort of more autonomy for the individual to do that. Uh, the frustrating thing for us, and Melissa knows this firsthand because she joined me at an event in Philadelphia last year. Uh, where we spoke in front of lawmakers, policymakers, and their staff for the Philadelphia City Council, um, saying this is actually the wrong way to go about giving scheduling. And what do you mean by on-demand uh, tech? What do you uh, mean really, it? you should be going the other way, and if you allowed a more on-demand tech-forward way to give people control over their schedules, that's better than a paper schedule that you have to post two weeks in advance, which is what the regulation in Philadelphia requires. Um, you know, so I think, uh, Melissa, uh, jump in here after this because I think you're more familiar with some of the things that you guys have been promoting. Um, but, you know, essentially having an app where your employees can go on the app and really choose hours, uh, you know, that fit their lives. You know, we always say, you know, retail is a, a job that you can fit around your life. Uh, you don't fit your life around a retail job. And we, we hope to always be able to satisfy that. I, with, I wish I was the first you know, one to shark tank and, with, and uh, new with that kind of app. We can roll out. Uh, the problem with but, the restrictive uh, Melissa, so what's been your experience of dealing with this the issue? ability to innovate uh, and think creatively in this space, which is a, a detriment to uh, not only the, the retail employer, but to the individual. Uh -huh. Yeah, where I get frustrated is where lawmakers say they're doing this on behalf of the candidates or the employees, and the em all employees want predictive scheduling two weeks posted in the, you know, on paper two weeks ahead of time. That's not what candidates are telling us. What candidates are telling us is they want to be able to pick up their shifts, pick up additional shifts when they need some extra income, and give up shifts when they want to make, you know, their kid's soccer game or when they have another gig that they want to pick up themselves. So, um, we, what we are saying is don't do this in the name of candidates. <laughs> That's not what candidates want. And so there are technologies out there, many te great technologies, that where a retailer can use it, and the hiring manager maybe can assign some of the best shifts 
um, to their long-term employees, but the rest of the shifts come up and come available and you can sort of bid on them and say, I want this shift and I want that shift or last minute, you know, 24 hours before the shift and you do want to make your kid's soccer game, you can put your shift that you were already assigned to up for other employees to pick up for you. What this means for employers is that they would typically need more headcount, which is a little bit counterintuitive um, to solving a, re a recruiting problem, but the schedule flexibility is the biggest reason why people leave. They say, I couldn't be available for, you know, seven days a week. So how many of the uh, employee voices so uh, on the points you just made uh, are being heard by the legislatures so who are enacting, telling, you know, the predictive uh, or restrictive scheduling laws schedule so flexibility can actually solve your recruiting issues and your quality of talent issues. So, so typically, how it goes, um, and this is this has been the process in, in numerous uh, jurisdictions: San Francisco, Seattle, Philly. Uh, Chicago is on the map to do this. Los Angeles is going to look into scheduling this year. Um, they usually find one or two individuals that did work in retail or restaurants or hospitality uh, who had a bad experience. And, uh, and they will use those ex uh, examples as a reason to pass wholesale changes to the regulatory, uh, you know, scheme, right? So uh, nobody is saying that uh, every retailer in every situation is perfect or that scheduling is perfect across the so board. Uh, but our yeah, no, I was just going to say, so, I mean, at some point, I think from a concept standpoint, uh, these there's a lot in what Melissa was really saying that you know, should be workable uh, for both sides uh, and it should bring benefits to, to both the employer and the employee. It's just a matter of uh, are, are the laws enacted so far um, so uh, doing too much um, for <laughs> one side uh, and not enough of a finding middle ground. Well, I guess your your presumption is that a middle ground is actually being um, you know, we had a terrible experience in Seattle a few years ago where, um, you know, they didn't even seek out employers uh, input, uh, before they dropped a bill and it was passed uh, in the city council. Well, I guess your, your uh, presumption is that a middle ground is actually being sought. Um, you know, we had a terrible experience in Seattle a few years ago where, um, you know, they didn't even seek out employers uh, input. Uh, before they dropped a bill and it was passed uh, in the city council a few weeks later. Um, so it, it's just a question of whether they want the viewpoint of an employer uh, involved. Um, and we obviously want to be. And in Philadelphia, we had the opportunity to present in front of uh, some of the, the council members and their staff. Um, and we did think we made some progress over the last year in shaping that bill, That's but at the end of the day... So the last sort of uh, regulatory issue that I wanted to talk about, many of the, um, the most we, we've talked a little bit uh, about uh, the changing workforce and, and a lot of the changing dynamics uh, that we have um, here in so 2019. So it is a problem, but it's, it's uh, We a are very much uh, into a gig economy, as people call it. We're seeing a lot more in the way of independent contractors and freelancers and all of that. How has that reality affected the retail industry and, and where do we think we're going from here on that issue? So I'll start this, but I, I, Melissa can really provide um, some great background. Uh, she pointed to the report that we uh, have worked on last year, the Apocalypse Revolution. Uh, that is a uh, the second report that we've done. Uh, the first one was in 2017. 
uh, and really we've started to narrow down the size of the so I'll start this, but I, I, Melissa can really provide um, some great background. Uh, she pointed to the report that we uh, have worked on in the last year, the apocalypse or evolution. Uh, that is a uh, the second report that we've done. Uh, the first one was in 2017. Uh, and really, we've started to narrow down this idea that uh, a traditional retailer is competing with gig platforms for the same uh, job seeker. Uh, and that's really because uh, the traditional retail job seeker prized flexibility uh, and part-time work. Uh, people work in retail for the part-time hours. Um, and now if you can go to an Uber app or a Lyft app and drive for 20 hours on, on your own time, your own schedule, and not have to worry about an employer, you know, a lot of folks are doing that. Um, so it is a, a talent issue that we're seeing, and, and uh, we're trying to figure out how do we shape the regulatory and legal process, uh, legal uh, uh, landscape going forward so that a traditional retailer can operate in kind of that same space as, as an Uber. Right. And so for me, when you start talking about that scheduling technology that would allow you to pick up shifts or give up shifts, what if then that scheduling technology allowed you to rank the employee, right? How many shifts did they show up for on time? Were they producing quality work? And does that give them access to the first shifts or the best shifts available? Then you also start to think about, well, could you share that technology between multiple employers? So thinking about seasonally, it's easiest to think about in terms of seasonal hires. So there are some retail employers that have a seasonal spike during the holidays, we all know, right? But there are other holiday or there are other seasons within the retail space, such as home improvement um, or anything to do in the, you know, construction or building up space. And so could candidates go work for a seasonal retailer through this technology and then also pick up shifts with another retailer that maybe is not competing in the exact same market for the exact same shifts. And once you do that, once you start ranking candidates in terms of how reliable they are and how much they show up and what they do when they're there, you have created a whole gig economy of people who can pick up retail shifts. So I really feel like that is the future and we will get there eventually. Um, it's just a matter of who adopts first and, and who Is there also a legal uh, impact here? I mean, certainly when it comes to the gig economy and the talent. independent economy. Contractor and freelance issues. Uh, you're having a lot of companies out there struggling you know, I, with uh, all of these misclassification tests. And, you know, we know we've got a plethora of them uh, federal, um, state, local, different between agencies and different between jurisdictions. Um, so companies uh, in some cases are. Uh, concerned about classifying individual workers as independent contractors. Do, do you see that playing into um, how fast or how slow we're going to move toward uh, the, the, the economy or the, the workplace that you've just described? Sure, if you think about the different departments in a major national or global retailer, the legal and risk department measurement and success as the talent acquisition department, nor does the operations department. So you have these three different departments trying to work on something uh, that is going to create challenges. Sure, if you think about the different departments in a major national or global retailer, the legal and risk department doesn't necessarily have the same um, 
measurement of success as the talent acquisition department, nor does the operations department. So you have these three different departments trying to work on something um, that is going to create challenges internally. So that's definitely what we see. If I'm talking to someone in operations, they say, this would be great. I would love to be able to make this work. Talent acquisition is saying, well, how does it impact the labor laws? And, you know, are they W-2 or 1099? And legal and risk is saying, whoa, 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 I'm not sure we want to do any of this. <laughs> so it definitely, I see it. I see it from the outside looking in. How about you, Evan? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, the two uh, obstacles to getting a large, uh, you know, traditional organization, a traditional retailer to be a little bit more aggressive in this space is, you know, the two things that hold them back are uh, inertia because they feel like we've always had our own brand. We've always had our own employees that represent our brand. We don't want to share. Uh, and that's always kind of been the mindset. Um, and then the second one is the legal and regulatory risk. Uh, and Melissa pointed out, you know, different people in the in organization think differently, but I, I could always point to the general counsel's office as being the, the cold water uh, thrown on anything like this. Um, but I think the, the challenges are clear that the market is dictating a move in a certain direction. And the winners of the future are going to be making the moves that they need to make to make sure they have the talent in place. Uh, and Melissa and I have really brainstormed a lot of topics about, you know, how do you create this pool or this marketplace of talent and out Evan, there? And I know you're actually leading a new uh, DC-based you know, initiative you, around the future of work and policy and how modernization. How do you be able to utilize it in a really effective way? And questions that we have to ask in one of the roles, and really the primary role for RELA here, is uh, to make sure that we are making the regulatory and legal environment uh, as uh, comfortable as possible for our retailers to operate in this space, uh, and that's one of the priorities that we're going to have going forward. Yeah, it's been uh, sort of a lot of build-up uh, to uh, creating uh, what we've uh, coined as the Coalition for, for Workforce Innovation, uh, and really it is, uh, the mission is to bring together disparate uh, voices and, and across uh, uh, industries, you know, from retail to hospitality to tech uh, to services and transportation, uh, to start thinking about these concepts of the gig economy uh, more broadly. Uh, think about them as a macroeconomic issue uh, rather than just simply an Uber problem that Uber is going to deal with. Uh, and that's just not the case. It, these things are going to impact every industry, and certainly retail is at the, the vanguard of that, given the type of workforce we have and the, the type of hourly associates that we need to fill you know, in a very dynamic way to make sure that we have enough people in the stores. or That's very true. That's a great point. Uh, we really hear so product, much, uh, at least recently, uh, about, uh, you know, so, the, the uh, Ubers, um, we are very excited about as well as the trucking industry and, and all of that. Uh, but, uh, these issues when it comes to independent and contractors really and freelancing uh, and just the gig economy generally really impacts far beyond what we're hearing about. issues and how they impact not only the gig economy players, but other industries other industries like retail. To think beyond the W2 1099 debate uh, and really define it as not independent contractors but independent work. Uh, and have that be the, the, the frame that we talk about here. Uh, that individuals that we are seeing in the retail industry prefer that independent. Uh, and that is why yeah, and I think I think uh, an important concept that we're, we're we're really trying to get out there is, you know. To think beyond the W-2 1099 debate, 
uh, and really define it as not independent contractors, but independent work. Uh, and have that be the, the, the frame that we talk about in um, that individuals that we are seeing in the retail industry prefer that independence. Uh, yep, and that, that is why that certainly folks makes like sense. to drive and, for Uber. Um, so as we're winding down, I want to um, uh, dot the for I independent and contractors the or Uber drivers, and it's about 60 to 70 uh, percent prefer that job a lot of the way it is. Right? They're not looking for full-time work. Uh, Melissa, uh, and we see that in the retail industry as well. When people just want a part-time job, they want to work a little bit more independently based on their own schedule. So we're really pushing the concept of independent work as sort of a different style than the traditional W-2 or 1099. The discussion is going to be around automation. So what parts of the job are going to be automated? How does that change the jobs? And has it changed the jobs that we need? So when we survey employers, they all know that automation is going to change their jobs in some way, right? Someone else is going to check you out. Someone else is going to take your order. Um, or, I'm sorry, a bot is going to check you out. A bot is going to take your order. <laughs> but there still has to be someone who is selling you. Uh, well, between now and the, in the next 10 years, the, the discussion is going to be around automation. So what parts of the job are going to be automated? How does that change the jobs? And how does it change the jobs that we need? So when we survey employers, they all know that automation is going to change their jobs in some way, right? Someone else is going to check you out. Someone else is going to take your order. Um, or I'm sorry, a bot is going to check you out. A bot is going to take your order. But there still has to be someone who is selling you the product, who yeah, is telling you about uh, I completely agree with you. And if folks the out there uh, want to the right find place. a way to so reach out to you when we and talk to employers, they know that the jobs will or, change. Uh, talk but the truth about is the that over 90% of them say that there will still be uh, the same number of jobs. They, jobs will just be different. So I think over the next 10 years, our discussion is going to be about what can be done by a robot or you know through automation and what still Terrific. needs to be Thank done you so much. by people. And Evan, what do you think? I mean, in the next 10 years, where you seeing uh, the retail industry going? Where do you see some of the issues we've been talking about from a regulatory standpoint going? Well, sure. Uh, I, I, I doubled down on what Melissa said on the automation. That'll be one of the, the biggest topics. Uh, sure. So my name's uh, Melissa Hassett, H-A-S-S-E-T-T. You can reach me on LinkedIn or email me at melissa.hassett at manpowergroup.com. Uh, that the stores will still exist. They may exist differently. Well, sure. Uh, I, I double down on what Melissa said on the automation. That'll be one of the, the biggest topics, um, is certainly in the retail industry over the next 10 years. But I think uh, what our members are, are doing is, is really trying to refine and perfect this omni-channel uh, experience, uh, that the stores will still exist. They may exist differently or smaller, or they may be very interactive, uh, but there will also be the online mobile shopping component that you may be doing at the same time. Uh, I think those components are going to be continually refined. Uh, you know, from the, from the workforce policy standpoint, I really see that there's a few um, That's great, and and if uh, any of the uh, folks out there uh, are or are not the role of uh, members already of Rila, uh, they want to bounce some of the, the stuff around net, you and, and, uh, and I think uh, get a sense of what kind of uh, services uh, you folks provide. And I think this uh, how can someone reach out to you? Work, you know, again, how can someone control their own life and work as most uh, as much as possible while still getting the wages and benefits that would allow them to uh, live 
Uh, well, so that's terrific. Again, uh, thank you both so much uh, for coming on to the podcast. Uh, I'm part of the really uh, appreciative of the fact that in response to the last question, neither of you said that there's no way you're coming back on in 10 years. So um, I, I do appreciate that. This has been extremely uh, valuable. So thank you both so much. Thank you. Sure. So my, my name is Evan Armstrong. Uh, you can reach me on LinkedIn as well, or uh, my email is evan, E-V-A-N dot Armstrong at R-I-L-A dot org. Thank you. Thank you. Well, I hope there was something of value there for you and something that you can take back to your organizations. Again, thanks so much to my guests, and thank you so much for continuing to listen to this podcast. I really appreciate it. Until the next time, I hope all of your labor is productive.